All right, if you have your Bible, we can turn to Luke chapter 8, and we are handling really the second part of what we started last week. Uh, and I knew I knew I'd bitten off too much last week, so I figured we'd just handle that second part. And if we have extra time at the end, we have extra time at the end. But I think we will be... Um, I don't think we ever have that problem. I think you're right. Probably won't have that problem today. So today, let's talk about uh, Jesus deals with real people, with some real problems, part two. We have two distinct stories here. And the way these stories are divided up is you have um, them in between each other. So if you look at your text here, if you look at your sheet, um, or if you have your Bible, if you turn to Luke 8, you'll notice in verses 40 through 42, Jesus begins an interaction with this man. His name is Jairus. Okay? And then he picks up that discussion in verse 49. So verses 43 through 48 comes in between this interaction with Jairus, and Jesus has an interaction with a woman. And and what you'll notice is that, especially if you you like studying these kind of things, the Gospel writer Luke, when he presents the stories of Jesus here, he often compares and contrasts people and their interactions with Jesus in order to show us something about Christ and about how Jesus deals with people. And this is one of the most wonderful passages, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. So I've called this the bold and the timid. And I made a joke about this last week. I said this is not a new uh, soap opera, you know, the bold and the, and the timid. No, this is the, uh, the two different kinds of people. We have these two scenes uh, happening. These two, actually, it all happens at one time, but these two different people and their interactions with Jesus. So what we're going to do, and we're going to kind of jump right into it because I don't think um, there's a lot of uh, words I need to say ahead of time. You've got the idea of what's going on with Jesus' life so far. He's in his ministry. He's ministering to people all around the, uh, this region, and um, he's got a lot of people who are interested in his ministry. What we're going to do is we're going to have you guys split in half, and we're just going to do this left and right again, and uh, have you guys circle up again, because I, I really think this discussion is helpful. You guys are going to handle this first area, this first question, which is the scene with Jairus. You're going to deal with both sections, the, the uh, scene verses 40, 42 and 49 through 56, okay? And when you talk about this, uh, in fact, we can read it together, and then we'll break up. How about that? Let's read through this together. If you have your Bible, you can turn there, because I'm going to read it through as it's written in the Bible, which is uh, in verse order. It's not exactly how it is on your sheet. We're going to start at chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. I'm just going to read it for you, and we'll go from there. As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus. He was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet. And he began to implore him to come to his house, where he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Okay, let's skip through all this and get to this part. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, she could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is this one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking... Someone came from the house of the synagogue's official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. 
When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. They began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. All right, so there's our two stories. We have the questions for the bold and the questions for the timid. I'm going to let you guys go at it. Go ahead and circle up in your groups and kind of pick a leader from amongst yourselves and discuss this. You guys are going to handle scenes, uh, these, the one about the, uh, the gyrus and the daughter, and you guys are going to handle the one about the woman, the timid woman, here with the, with the hemorrhage, all right? So let's, uh, let's split up into our groups and have the discussion, and I'll call you back in about, say, 10 minutes once you are finished with your talk. All right, so let's talk a little bit about, um, good job. I'm sure you all had great discussion. Let's just talk a little bit about uh, what's going on here. I think I have a, we have a lot to discuss here. I think there's a lot going on. Some of you have tapped into some of the things going on. There's more that meets the eye. I'm convinced. There's more that's going on here than just you would necessarily think on first glance. Let's walk through this passage, and you all tell me, this is your passage, right? What do you see? As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. So he's, he's popular. There are lots of people following him around. There came a man named Jairus. Let's, let's just underline Jairus here, or circle him. And then, what do you know about Jairus? Okay, he's a ruler or an official of the synagogue. What's a synagogue? Yeah, it's like a Jewish community of worship. It's like a, a, a local place where men would gather and pray, right? And uh, they would read the law, read the prophets. So is this, what, how would you, if you built a profile of this individual, what would you, how would you describe him? More of like a, I don't want to say like a security guard, but he's like making sure everything's running smoothly. Are you talking about for job-wise or just? Or just, I think personality-wise, like if you had to, <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know if, it, I don't know exactly what his job was, but I would tend to think that he at least had some sort of responsibility, mm-hmm. he was well-known. He was well respected. He's probably, you know, a little bit older. He can't be pretty smart too. If he's right, if he's a ruler. He's smart. Yeah. He's respected. Would he possibly have been a Pharisee? He probably. He was probably some sort of religious, uh, like a Pharisee. Um, doesn't tell us here. How does he? How does he act? What does he do? In what scene? Right here. He calls Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him. Implore him just means to beg him. What is he begging him for? Now, unless you have children, it's very hard for you to understand what this feels like. Now, I've never had a child this close to death before. But I'm telling you, those of you who have kids know there is a real, there's something about your kids that pulls out, that makes you act like an idiot to protect them. Or if someone stepped, like, I remember the first time some kids were being mean to my son, and I saw it, and I, I had to hold myself back. I was like, that little five-year-old Pips, he's going to, you know, take, going to deal with me. You're not going to treat my son like that. But then I was like, wait a second. He can handle it himself. Um, there is a, he is doing this for his daughter. He's got an only daughter, about 12 years old. That's very interesting here. She's about 12. Um, 
And what was her problem? She was nine. Yeah, bad. Bad, bad, bad. Real bad. She's dying. She's last leg. She's not doing well. But what happens at this point? Jairus comes right in front of Jesus. Right? He comes and falls at his feet. Jesus, come heal my daughter. She's dying. And what happens? The crowds press in. And, and, and because of the movement, because of everything going on, Jesus is, usher, is pushed away. He's pushed away. And he saw his hope gone. I want you to think about that. So what are some of the questions we had here? Uh, or, yeah, let's look at some of the questions. What was his need? We talked about that. What does Jesus do for this man? Okay, but before, how does he deal with his needs? Yeah, it, he, he, well, I kind of have this out of order. I really should have left this in order. But Jesus has the ability to stop the crowds and deal with the situation, but he doesn't. He allows it to continue. He allows this to happen. As he went, the crowds were pressing against him. And so he's got this pressure. And I think this is very important that how does, how does Jairus come? If you could think of one word that characterizes Jairus's attitude when he comes to Jesus, what would it be? Desperate, hopeful. Determined, maybe. Determined. Bold, is that what you're saying? Bold is a word. That, I mean, it's kind of weird how it presents itself, but I mean, he was pretty bold to just walk right up. I think desperate is good. I think bold is great. I, in fact, I talk, call it the bold and the timid. I mean, but he's bold. He goes right to Jesus' feet, right in front of him, to his face. He, he, everybody knows who he is. He doesn't care. Right? Um... Uh, does this surprise you at all? The way Jesus deals with this man? Not really? Some, some of you saying? Different answers. Some of us surprise him. Why would it surprise you? Isn't Jesus supposed to respond to the needs of people? How heartless could you be to let this girl die? I mean, think about it. That is a, that is a hard question. Can you, see, can you see how that would be challenging? I mean, when I see this story, I'm like, that is a little bit of a, of a tension I have to deal with. If Jesus lets this girl die, is that mean? We say no because we know the whole story. But in the moment, what is Jairus feeling? Um, how does Jesus challenge the bold by choosing not to immediately heal his daughter? Yes, Maddie? Um, we were talking about how if you're bold, you're more likely you're an impatient person. Because if you want something, you go after it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's definitely teaching his patience. Because I know that if I was in, what is the name? Jairus? Jairus, yeah. If I was in Jairus' position, I'd probably be like, um, mine's literally life or death, and she's been bleeding for 12 years. She right. Can wait, you know? She can wait. Um, right. She ain't died yet. She probably ain't going anywhere. So I <laughs> Okay. All right. So you would think that because of the, emergent, the the situation being so serious and so urgent, urgent, time sensitive, um, Jesus yeah. is challenging him to to, to, to cool it. You want to say something? Yeah, I mean, plus like him this way, look at him bringing her back to life is way more. I don't want to say impressive. That's not what I mean. Than him healing. If she was just sick. Oh, sure, yeah. It shows a greater power. Oh, yeah. 
Let's go back to the second part here and see what happens. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house, the synagogue, and said, your daughter has died. So look at this. He's standing there, and probably uh, this whole scene is taking place with this woman. Jesus uh, deals with that. We're going to deal with that scene in a second. But after this happens, um, he, uh, someone's come running up from the crowd. And he's like, look, don't even bother. Your daughter died. And how horrible that message would have been. He's thinking, I had my shot. And these people pushed me out, and he didn't heal her. I had my one shot, and it didn't happen. Oh, that's just, I can't imagine the pain that he would have been feeling. Your daughter has died, and he says, don't trouble the teacher anymore. But then it says, when Jesus heard this, he answered him. He says, don't be afraid any longer. Seems Apparently, it seems to be that this man had some fear motivating his, his behavior. I'm not sure exactly in what aspect. He says, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. And I can imagine Jairus saying what? You must not have heard what happened. No, Jesus, it's not that she's sicker, she's gone. But Jesus says she will be made well, then he comes to the house. And then he did not allow anyone to enter with her except Peter and John and James, and the girl's father and mother, so a small crowd. How did Jairus approach Jesus? What was the setting? Like from the big crowd or small crowd? Big crowd. Big crowd. Big crowd. What has Jesus done? He's changed the setting. Small crowd. Small crowd. For this larger miracle, he's given it a smaller crowd. Yep, he pulls everybody in, and he pulls everybody into this room. It's just a few people. And what does he say? They were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And this is, I, think, I heard y'all talking about this. What do they do when Jesus says this? Stop weeping, for she has not died, she's asleep. What do they do? They laugh at it, knowing that she had died. It's almost like, you know, it's like, come on, Jesus. Are you, can you not see what's in front of you? She's gone. She's not here anymore. And Jesus is like, don't, don't, don't cry. You shouldn't be crying. It's absurd for you to be crying. Like, like have you ever um, cried over someone that hasn't woken up? No. Someone goes to sleep and you go into their room and they're still sleeping like my kids. If I go into my kids' rooms in the morning, they're sleeping. I'm like, oh, so cute. There they are still sleeping and they're, you know, they're still quiet <laughs> for those moments. I don't start weeping, lamenting because they're sleeping. I know they're going to wake up. And the picture Jesus is giving is, is we should not be so hopeless with death because guess what? We'll all be raised in the end. It's, it's a temporary condition. It's not eternal like we think. It's not forever. And he's speaking here specifically. This is a real temporary thing because he's getting ready to show he has power over death. They began laughing at him knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called his voice, called life, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. That means she came alive. And she got up immediately and he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Now look at verse 56. What, do you, what did you make of this? What did you guys make of verse 56? Did you talk about this at all? What did Jesus tell them to do? Why? He wanted it to be more centered on what God has given him the power to do rather than him individually. It was more about faith, not about the person who did it. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. It's a hard. It's a hard question. I don't really know all the. I don't really know. I can't really definitively say this is the absolute reason why. I'm just curious. What? Yeah. Can I ask another question? Sure. Why does he want her to eat something after he raises her back up? Well, I guess they need to <laughs> that happens a couple times. Uh, that actually. Yeah, and it also in in verse um, in chapter. Um, see here, um, in chapter seven, we have a similar story in verse eleven about a city named Nain, a city called Nain. And after he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and the sizable crowd of the city was following her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Uh, so he began speaking. So I think I think what it is is it's it's you have this always there's some sort of action following to show you that this is a real not resurrection. Oh. Somebody's not gonna be eating if they're dead. You know, yeah, it's not an illusion. It's not like um, they prop him up and open his eyes up, and they're like, "Oh, he's alive!" You know, it's no, he's actually like converse. In this story in chapter seven, he starts talking with people. Jesus, when he's resurrected, what does he do? Remember, he goes in the house with the apostles, and what does he do? He eats. He breaks bread and eats. Right. So there is. That's a lot of what's going on here. Is it's the authentication. This is a real raising from the dead. It's not just. A trick. Yeah. Uh, to go back to your question on like why we think he did, he told them not to tell other people about right. it. I I can't remember the specific passage in John, but in John he goes and crowds are really starting just like in this situation to really start pressing in. Right. And um, I think the crowds that are really pressing in are they're just following him just kind of for the show mm-hmm. and just for the miracles. And I think he just doesn't want people to tell other people about the works just because he doesn't want more people coming in for, you know, along for the ride. And they have the mentality of like, oh, if this is what everyone's talking about, I need to see it. Okay. Instead of like, of course he did that. Why wouldn't he? So here's, so I think I can answer this question by going to this story, this next story, because these two are contrasted with each other. Okay. On, on purpose. So we have this question for the bull. We talked about those. Let's talk about the timid. Um, we have the story here of the woman who had a hemorrhage or an issue. She had a, a blood flow for 12 years. How old was the girl? 12. As long as this girl had been alive, this woman had been suffering with this issue. Other passages of Scripture tell us that she had expended all of her resources to try to heal this disease to no avail. Okay? Let's ask our questions. Seems like the woman had sought help from all over. What was the result of her searching? Okay. Yes. Um, no doctor was able to help her. Albert, what what do you think she felt as she approached Jesus? What did y'all decide on this? I, I didn't say this word. My word was apprehensive. Okay. How do you know that? Well, she didn't just come up to Jesus and say, "I'm not feeling real well. Will you touch me?" There was a, there was a. How did Jairus come to him? At his feet. How did the woman come up? Behind him. Behind him. Is it more or less how women... No. No. The the women in Jesus' ministry... I mean, 
Women in Jesus, Jesus had many prominent women in his ministry. That's not a, there might be some cultural aspects to this, sure, but there is a, and that might have contributed to her feeling, but she was not interested in getting attention. She was trying to be healed without drawing attention to herself, while Jairus was begging and imploring Jesus in front of everybody, and Jesus' message to him is, you got to wait. Learn to be patient. To this woman who comes behind him and doesn't want to be noticed, what does Jesus do? I guess that's the next question. How does the woman approach Jesus? What was the woman's... Oh, let's, let's ask. What, how does Jesus respond to this woman here? What does he do? Yes, who, touched me. who touched me? So it says that immediately when she touched just the fringe of his cloak, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. She immediately felt the healing here. And Jesus said, who's the one who touched me? And he says in verse 46, someone did touch me. And this is not just like, abs- like touching somebody accidentally. It was an intentional reaching and touching because I was aware that power had gone out of me. So Jesus is sitting there doing this. And Peter, you can almost hear Peter. Jesus says, who touched me? And, and Peter says, master, everybody touched Who didn't touch you? I mean, like everybody is like rubbing against your shoulders. Everybody's like doing stuff and, and they're bumping up against you. Remember the crowds pressed in around him and Jesus is like, no, no, no. Someone touched me, touched me. Because I felt power going from me. I know someone touched me. He calls her out. So the question is, why does Jesus do this? What was the woman's physical need and what was her spiritual need? Well, her physical need was obviously his healing. What was her spiritual need? Did you guys come up with something on that? It was out of question. There wasn't one. Okay, how does Jesus respond to her? What does he challenge her to do? Okay, but she did. She had faith. Yeah, she obviously had faith and she knew that she was going to be healed. And if he immediately gave her power, he was like, your faith has done you good. Exactly. That's why that question I was going to ask about what was her spiritual need that's a good question. What was her spiritual name? You don't know? Maybe. She needed a little courage. Confirmation that her faith is paying off? A little, maybe? Okay. Did she have a spiritual name? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, someone did touch me. When the woman saw, what? She had not escaped notice. She came in what? Trembling. Trembling. She's trembling. She's scared. She falls down at Jesus' where? Feet before him. And she declares in the presence of all the people the reason why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This is her spiritual need. She, see, what I'm getting to is that there's some people who naturally are bold. Okay? You have no problem going to Jesus and being like, Lord, I need your power. And you are just a bold person. And sometimes you know what Jesus does to you, he moves you. He he actually encourages you to learn patience. Because you're used to, in our world, if you're bold, sometimes you get things done faster. If you make noise, if you're obnoxious, sometimes people will actually allow that to, you know, they'll actually serve you better because you're a greasy, what is it, the greasy wheel gets, the, no, the, the noisy wheel gets the grease. What's the squeaky wheel? Squeaky wheel. I couldn't think of it. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. That kind of idea. I thought you were calling me greasy. I'm not calling. I'm not talking about anybody in here. But some people are naturally timid. 
And what is Jesus, what's Jesus' response to the timid person versus the bold person? The person who's naturally timid, who is afraid of coming and speaking out for Christ. What's, what's Jesus do? He encourages them to be bold in their testimony. So what I have, I have a couple notes here. I don't think I actually wrote this down, but you might want to. Um, I don't know if I, yes, sir. Can I just share a couple things as I was looking back at this whole about whether and why she may have been timid? Sure. If she was in the crowd and she saw the boldness of Jairus. Jairus. I yeah. totally shall always pronounce Jairus. Yeah. Jairus. Jairus. If she saw that, that she may have been self conscious, okay, I can't stop Jesus because he's going to heal. Right. So there may have been some tendency from the front, okay, but I've had this for this year. I just, I, that may be my only chance. So that could have. But I got to think about that last phrase. It says, verse 48. He said to her, daughter, your faith is made you well, go in peace. Yeah. If I'm Jarius and I'm standing there as well at the same time, but I hear him make that statement, mm-hmm. why would he call her daughter? If I'm Jarius, this comes yeah. to my mind. He just called her daughter. Right, his daughter. And I almost wonder, because you don't get no reaction from Jarius, but you have Jesus coming and he says, don't be afraid. Only believe it should be made well. Uh-huh. Jarius just saw this happen. Uh-huh. Here comes a report, your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, believe. Yeah. All's going to be what? Almost like, it, it's just, it's God's, orchestrate everything to almost just put Jerry's that position and then before even all happens listen it's going to be all right yeah what likely is going on here is often a daughter uh was a term that was spoken to a a jewish woman or jewish female so she's a jew he says daughter uh as a a daring term but yeah i mean this this man has a daughter who's sick and his daughter's not getting healed you can feel the tension there but I think it's profound when you take a notice of something. And I think I have it here under applications. Uh, well, no, no, I don't. So I'm just going to read this off my sheet. And um, you might just think about this. When Jairus, while Jairus and the woman approach Jesus from completely different perspectives, that is, Jairus comes to his feet, the woman comes from behind, they both end up in the same place. That's bowing before Jesus. You notice that. They both end up, Jesus pulls them to the same location, although they come from different perspectives. And the point I'm making is that some of you people are naturally bold. Some of you are naturally timid. Some of you just you're just not a bold person. And my goal tonight isn't to say, just be stronger, be bolder. My point is that Jesus sometimes is going to pull you out of your timidity. And he's going to call you out. Because Jesus, when he changes you, it ought to be a matter of public record. And that's what happened with this woman, is that she had the opportunity and she spoke truth. The people, Jesus calls her and asks her to preach what has happened, and she does it. Now, think about that and contrast it with what he does here. Here he tells the bold, the bold man, he says, don't tell anyone. And I think what Jesus is doing, he knows what you need. He knows what I need. He knows what you need in every step, and he's giving you exactly what you need. I think it's so important. So a couple applications here, we'll wrap it up, and then I'll take some more questions if you want. Oh. So you identify yourself as a bold person or as a timid person. So some of you know who you are, right? You're like, I'm a bold person. I just, I'm bold. I ask Jesus for everything. I tell people about my problems. I don't mind going in front of everybody and like boldly crying out, I have this issue and I would like help with it. Some of you are like, I'm super timid. I ask for unspoken requests all the time because I don't want anybody to know what I'm struggling with. And I would rather approach from the back. For the bold, some of you are spiritually bold. You need faith just as much as a timid person. 
You may struggle with faith because you demand that God work on your timetable, but God doesn't do that. He works on his own timetable. God does this so he can show you his glory in a more perfect way. And this is what I was, y'all were getting at when you said that, hey, isn't a healing a lot, not nearly as impressive as raised from the dead? Like, which would you rather have? Someone raised from the dead or someone healed? Raised from the dead is pretty awesome. Now, you have to go through the death part. That's awful. But in the end, someone's raised from the dead. That's a pretty impressive thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that might be a, that might be an unfair question, but you get, I think you get what I'm saying. Jesus shows His glory even more perfectly through the resurrection. Um, so, for the timid person, though, in this case, you need to be bold in your worship, bold in your testimony, and bold in the way you stand, and then fall before Jesus. And I think that's key: is that God is calling you bold people to be be willing to uh, swallow your pride and take a back seat for a minute. And he's calling the timid people to be willing to stand up in front of other people. Um, does that make any sense? I just love this story. To me, it's just such a beautiful picture. It's a good one, isn't it? I love it. I get so excited. Yeah. Any questions or anything not make sense? I mean, there, there's more we could talk about. But uh, we do have a couple minutes, and if there's anybody who has a question, we could we could definitely try to try to talk about it. I just don't want to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting it down. You understand. The only reason I say that is because, like, for example, um, that was just, that's not diluting it at all. It's still important. Jesus doesn't know her from anybody. And he calls her daughter. He's looking out for her. Right? And just like Jairus is looking out for his daughter, Jesus has his daughters in mind. Okay? I don't want to. I don't want to dilute that at all. I'm so sorry. I hope that didn't affect. What I mean is, is that it, it, that I think the daughters of Rachel, the daughters, was a common term used for the the women, the daughter. You know, you were a daughter of Rachel. You were a daughter of Israel. Yeah. So, but it's an affectionate term, and he's he's definitely. She's probably older than he is. He still calls her daughter. That's another interesting. Kind of a random. She's probably a rich older woman, by all accounts. She doesn't have a husband, but she has means. She's probably a widow, has a lot of money, spent it all trying to get better. Marshall, I'm yeah. just curious. Um, the daughter part. <laughs> this is getting you guys caught up on something. The daughter part. Yeah. Did it come because he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God, he is our Father? From that perspective as well, he's that. Well, Jesus is our brother, not our father, right? And according to the scriptures, you would call Jesus your brother. Uh, he is like a, the Father. Um, and Jesus is our co, um, co heir. I mean, read Hebrews, and you see Jesus referenced more as our brother versus our father. Um, but the fa- correct, but you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, God, the Father is often referred to as our Father. Jesus prays to our Father, who are in heaven. Um, that's a my. I mean, I don't know if that really is. A, I, there might be somewhere where. I guess he's called Everlasting Father in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 9. 
you know, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, mighty God, you know, that part. Unto us a child is born. From from the Messiah, from, you know, um, Isaiah 9-6. But I don't know, I have to think about that. It's a good question. Good comment. All right, I hope this is encouraging to you. God is working with you despite who you are. <laughs> despite your weaknesses, despite who, you know, your, your, uh, your, how you naturally are, God is going to work with you and he's going to make you into the child of God he wants you to be. Let's close the word of prayer and we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for this passage of scripture. Help us to be encouraged by it tonight and help us to approach you and be changed by you. And uh, Lord, thank you for these examples of healing in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.